just tell me something from today. Tell me something good that brought you joy. Oh, I had a chance to watch a, a crow and a squirrel <laughs> face face off at the bird feeder. <laughs> and the crow came in and knocked the squirrel off. And that squirrel sat on the ground there, shook its head, like, <laughs> what just happened to me? <laughs> that was fun. <laughs> Good evening, everyone. My name is Egan Orion, and this is A Light in the Dark. This is episode one of our podcast, which is intended to be a place for people to gather to hear stories of our collective humanity and to find hope and positivity in what's ahead despite living during what for many is our darkest hour. On the show, you'll hear stories from storytellers and moms, and dads, and kids, and scientists, and artists about what they're experiencing during the COVID-19 outbreak of 2020. Today is March 20, 2020, and uh, each night on the show, we are going to give you a very quick update about where we're at with the pandemic, and then we'll move on to the stories of people that are living today what their hopes and aspirations are for the future, and how they're surviving this very grim moment in our history. So we'll start with where we're at today. Overall, in the world, there is 275,000 cases of coronavirus. There have been 11,376 deaths, and 90,943 people have recovered there's a pretty steep line as far as uh, deaths and new cases. Um, when it comes to the United States, we had 49 new deaths today. Overall, we stand at 256 with a total of 19,382 cases. So we're nearly at 20,000 cases for the United States. We are broadcasting from Seattle, right in the heart of the original epidemic of the coronavirus in the United States. But it's become clear that New York has uh, quickly surpassed us in total numbers of infections and uh, sadly what is soon to be deaths as well. Uh, we're hearing reports out of the Bronx today of having to ration ventilators. And uh, in Brooklyn, they're having to reuse masks to, uh, the health care providers are using to keep themselves safe from the epidemic. Here in Washington State, uh, in King County, there have been great efforts over the last couple of days uh, to start to put uh, emergency medical facilities into place in soccer fields and outside of hospitals to get the thousands of extra beds that we know we are going to desperately need in the days to come. Uh, reports out of Evergreen Medical today, uh, which saw some of the early COVID-19 deaths, show a fairly empty ER. That's what they're reporting over there. But for many, it feels like the calm before the storm. Uh, as we know, that Italy was in lockdown uh, starting just 11 days ago. And today, they racked up their, their worst... Um, number of deaths and actually the highest number of, de of deaths of any country uh, so far 
in this uh, pandemic in a single day of over 600. Uh, I think that many experts are thinking that they're about uh, at the peak of their epidemic in their country, um, but the days ahead will reveal that. Now, many places in the United States are just a few days in or uh, to their lockdowns or to their shelter-in-place orders, but uh, many more are ignoring the urgency of this moment. So we'll see in the days and weeks ahead uh, exactly where we are headed, but uh, we know there's going to be a lot of uh, heartache and suffering in the meantime. But there is good news too, because with such a crisis, there are always people who will step up. There are always stories of people that inspire us. And when we get to the end of this crisis, and we will get to the end of this crisis, there is an after. We don't know if it's going to be days or weeks or months, but there is going to be an after. And when we get to that place, we will look back on how we acted during this crisis and how we served our fellow humans, and that will reveal the scope of our humanity. So I implore you out there listening, whether you're in Seattle, across the United States, or in some other corner of the world, show us your humanity. We need you right now. Some of you can't because of your obligations or because of your underlying health conditions or because you're just too anxious and depressed by what's going on, which is completely understandable. But to all the others, we need you to stand up. Just a little bit about me, uh, since I'll be your host, broadcasting from the center of the original epidemic here in the United States. Again, my name is Egan O'Ryan. I am the founder and the producer of Seattle Pride Fest, I am the director of the Broadway Business Improvement Area. I am a fiction writer. And I was born and raised in the Puget Sound area. I've been in Seattle directly since the early uh, 90s. I live in the Central District. I ran for public office last year. So I know a little bit about being a community organizer. It's something that I do on a daily basis. You're going to hear throughout the course of the show Uh, about some of the work that I'm doing. But really, it's not about me. It's about the amazing people that I meet on an everyday basis that are showing up to help other people get through this crisis. They're the real inspiration for this show. And we just hope in the end that that we serve as a place of inspiration for people, a a touch point in their day. This is going to be a daily podcast We're just at episode one. I've never done a podcast before, just FYI. So uh, go gentle on me. But um, we look forward to just expanding this conversation. And we're going to be bringing listeners in as we go along because I have a feeling this is going to be a long, grueling battle that we're going to have with the coronavirus. And I think that, you know, during crisis, it reveals a lot about people. And I... I have faith in humanity. I really think that we're going to see the best in it. And that's what we want to elevate on a light in the dark is the best of our humanity. Because like I said, we're going to get to the end of this crisis. How are we going to look back on this, this period? How are we going to be stronger, more resilient? What are the challenges ahead? 
those are a lot of things that I want to explore on this show. So in our first show, episode number one of A Light in the Dark, we're going to be talking to a few people. First up, we are going to meet some community organizers and small business owners who are showing up and doing the work in order to feed the most vulnerable among us. A project that we'll tell you more about and that you, the listener, can pitch in some form. And and we'll report back about it to tell you. But today was the very first day of this project. Uh, It's called Food is Love Project at foodisloveproject.org. So there's, there's families right now, this evening, on Friday, March 20th, 2020, that are enjoying meals that were put together with the love of uh, community organizers and small business owners, particularly restaurants, that wanted to have a stake in, in this crisis to be able to uh, mitigate some of the suffering that, that people are having out there and make sure that the very least that they have um, the food that they need to to go from day to day and, and, and feel nourished both uh, in their bodies, but also uh, from the community at large. And then we'll move on. Uh, our last two guests for tonight uh, play a very important role in my life. They are charming people uh, and they are both 80. They are my parents and they have a great historical perspective on this. And it's really interesting also to just hear what your average, they're not average to me, obviously, but what your average 80-year-olds may be thinking out there that are holed up in their house and worried about their families, worried about what comes next. So we'll have that conversation. Along the way, with every conversation that we have, there will be laughs. Um, There will be breaks that we give in order to provide a little bit of levity. These are going to be dark times. At times, we need to smile We need to be inspired. We need to laugh. So we will do that in a way that is respectful. Uh, Clearly, there's going to there are already families that are deeply suffering. There's people that have died. There are more people that are going to die. So we don't want to be morbid about anything. We want to recognize that that's what's going on, but that each of us needs a break from the news, a break from the sorrow, a break from the pain, break from the death, to just come together as human beings and recognize that we're all in this together. And really that's what it's all about. And so actually that's what brings us to our first guest tonight. I'm thrilled to bring in a couple of friends of mine who are doing great work in the community. Just to give you a little backstory on this. uh, I was sort of just playing around with ideas on on Facebook a couple weeks ago and uh, about food in our community and people who need that food and restaurants who want to be able to make it and, and serve it to people. We've been in the middle of a crisis here. Um, there's lots of people that are impacted. This just seemed uh, a way that we could connect those two things together. And I thought, you know, what if, what if restaurants could make food that we could then get out to families who are having problems finding food or are just food insecure in one way or another right now. So uh, I started having this conversation with uh, Marina Gray, who's uh, been working with the Lowell Elementary uh, School community for a long time. Um, uh, she's been working on a school-based health clinic. 
Um, she's really devoted to that community and, uh, she was, she was all in on it. I've been working with uh, Linda DeLello Morton at Terra Plata for a long time as well. Brought up that idea to her. This is already stuff that she and her partner, Tamara Murphy, had already been thinking about. Uh, so just a couple of days ago, after much talk, we uh, started to launch this uh, project, which we're calling the Food is Love Project. And to talk about it a little bit more, I'd like to uh, to welcome Marina Gray and Linda DeLello Morton. Welcome to the show, you guys. Thank you, Egan. Thank you. So I'll start with you, Marina. You know the uh, the community that we're going to be uh, distributing food to. Oh, that's it. I've been burying the lead. This is the first day that we're going to be delivering food to families who need it. As part of this program, um, we're going to be delivering food to 18 uh, families. Can you, Marina, tell us a little bit about about uh, these these families and about the the Lowell School and some of the the vulnerabilities there? So Lowell is, you know, in the heart of Capitol Hill, and it, it is an extremely diverse community of beautiful learners and um, families that are actually under a lot of stress for a number of different reasons. There is a high number of homeless and transitional families, um, high poverty, free and reduced lunch, as well as special needs and medically fragile families within this beautiful community. And so, um, you know, we've been working hard to find ways to connect that community to resources for many years. And with this level of um, stress coming in with this coronavirus or COVID-19 pandemic, those families are at an even bigger pressure to find ways to take care and continue to be resilient while resources are dwindling, they're in transition or couch surfing, or hourly wages are um, disappearing because of um, a number of families that might be hotel workers or another position. So with that, I think about a third of our population, we distribute food bags to weekly um, for kids that are food insecure. So those are the types of families that we are now trying to serve with this dinner program. And everyone is extremely excited about this opportunity, including a family of 11, I think, that we'll be serving um, this evening. So, you know, nourishment is important for our bodies and our souls. And I'm just really grateful that we're coming together as this collective to make this happen right now when everybody's just trying to find their way. Yeah, absolutely. Let's go ahead and pivot to to Linda, who's the co-owner of uh, Terra Plata with with her partner, uh, Tamara Murphy. Hey, Linda, uh, uh, to anyone living through this crisis, it's no mystery that you know small businesses and restaurants have been hit hard. How have you been adapting to this this crisis, and and what what made you want to engage more deeply with the with with the community? Well. Uh- in terms of wanting to engage more deeply with the community, uh, my partner, Tamara, and I have, have made it our mission, part of our mission statement, is, is to be engaged with the community. And it's the community that, you know, really restaurants are a gathering place for the community. And that's how what inspires us is really bringing our greater community together and what better way than over a meal or a dining room table. And sadly, we're not able to have dinner as a community at the dining room table. 
So it's still like, it, you know, in terms of what's going on for small businesses and especially restaurants these days, it's, it's devastating. We're adapting as quickly as we can, but there's not really a, there's not really an answer to keep all of our workers employed, making the incomes that they need to make. Because unfortunately, it's sort of like on an airplane and you take that airplane flight and the first recording that comes on is to keep safe is to put your mask on yourself before assisting others. And it's not in our nature to try to take care of ourselves first so that we're able to take care of other people. And we're just scrambling and trying to do everything we can to make sure that our staff is set up for an appointment. Luckily, we have a state and a governor that's acted quickly to help us make sure that unemployment services is flexible and they get income, unemployment income coming to all of our workers right away for the hours and dollars that they're not earning. And we have started, we kept our kitchen cooking because we're able to do takeout and delivery and curbside pickup. And we've had an unbelievable outreach from our friends in greater community in terms of buying food to go, leaving generous tips for our workers, and uh, just keeping our cooks cooking. At this time, though, it's, it's a fraction of what our revenue would normally be and a fraction what it, of what it takes to keep our doors open and operating. But what's awesome about the Food is Love Project is that it's my favorite part about it is that we can continue to help families in need and to feed people, which is what we do every day, while also um, keeping cooks cook, cook, cooking in restaurants. And um, so it's kind of a twofer that way. Yeah, no, that's that's fantastic. I And I think, you know, for, for the more cynical uh, among us, you know, people think that small businesses need to be supported so that their owners can make a profit. And they just don't realize what the small business community is about. Uh, with business owners reaching out uh, to me, it's really all about their employees and making sure that they can keep on whoever they can keep on during this time. I mean, so many people have been laid off, but um, it's a, yeah. it's a family and people take care of family. And I, I think that that's what people are seeing really clearly right about now. Um, yeah. And go ahead. we as restaurateurs know that like that, that is exactly um, what restaurants are about. I mean, small businesses are about that too, but restaurant families tend to attract people in need of family that attracts underserved communities that need a job and it's the easiest entry into employment. So yeah, it's, it's a natural. And, and one thing I'll say about small businesses and in restaurants especially is um, I don't know of a restaurant in the city that hasn't given a lot every day, whether they're uh, supporting different causes like shelters like Mary's place or, you know, families in need or capital housing, or I could go on and on and on with the causes and nonprofits that restaurants support. It's interesting to find ourselves in a little bit of a role reversal because we don't know how to uh, accept help. We know how to give it, but it's really hard to accept it. So I think what we're learning from this crisis is that we're, we're all in this together. Definitely. Absolutely. Yeah. And Marina, I just wanted to go, we were talking about the restaurant families and the greater community how has the Greater Lowell family and that community been responding to this, uh, to the Food is Love project and just as far as stepping up or donating or, or pitching in? Oh, absolutely. Right now, we're, we're partnered with the Lowell PTA. And, um, you know, I've already shared this out in my social media networks, and everybody is extremely excited about this project. 
and everybody in Capitol Hill communities, we're looking for ways to lean in and help um, while also maintaining social distancing. So this is a, is a perfect way and a perfect opportunity for them to pitch in and put some money into the program to be able to support our families. And I wanted to say, too, um, the restaurant business in Capitol Hill has really been a space where Lowell has received support in the past with Dine Out, where people contribute 50% of their proceeds towards helping the Lowell community. So this is yet another partnership in that way where we're all coming together to um, to help each other. And um, I'm happy that we're able to meet meet needs here um, by matching up the needs in the community between the restaurants and the families. Yeah, I love it. I love it. It's, it's, you all have really inspired me. You know, this has really been a close partnership between uh, me, Marina, and, and, and Linda. But, you know, that's just a starting point. We've had uh, Olmstead Restaurant step up. Uh, Marjorie is going to be cooking for us um, this next week. Um, there's just been partners throughout the community, part of the Lowell family network. People are volunteering. The list just goes on and on. And I think we're just going to see that expand as the Food is Love project hopefully expands to serve other communities um, in the city. Just really quick, going back to Linda, the name of the project is actually inspired by something that, that you and Tamara have been talking about for a long time about your philosophy of, of food and, and of serving people. You want to talk just a little bit about that? Sure. It's, a, it's, just, it's something that Tamara and I have always talked about. And every time we either get together with friends or somebody needs something or really, whether it be in time of crisis or in time of joy, it's food is the way we show our love. And it's always been that way. And uh, it's, it was just a natural. When we started talking about this project and how we're going to feed people and what do we call it, I mean, the first thing that, that popped into my brain and out of my mouth was our conversation about how we show our love for food. And, uh, and food is love, and it really is. It provides sustenance and nutrition, but more importantly, it's the family table and the gathering place and how we come together. And, you know, most often it comes together as a community around the dining room table and around food. So it's a natural um, I think to talk about what we're doing in terms of, you know, how we provide our love for the community. Yeah, no, I think that that's great. Thank you for providing that inspiration. I think it's a, it's a great name and it really says what we're, uh, what we're doing with this project. I'm going to switch gears just a little bit. Um, we're going to wrap up, but uh, Marina, can you tell me something beyond this project? Uh, something good that happened today, something that made you smile or gave you comfort. Well, actually, um, honestly, we, I was just up at Lowell. I was picking up non-perishable bags for us to distribute. And when I was up there, there was a number of other folks that were coming up asking how they could help. And local community organization came up to bring gift cards uh, for grocery cards for handout um, to the social worker that was up there. So I think it was just yet another moment of people stepping in to help in the community and looking for ways to do that. And, um, and that warmed my heart. Just, you know, it was, um, and then as people walked by the lunch distribution point, other folks were coming through asking for ways that they could help. And then families who were coming to get bags of lunches were asking 
while they're in need, how they can continue to extend and support the community. They may need to have the, the nourishment, but they may be able to support facilitating deliveries to other families in similar need as them. So that is something that I think it takes a village and we're all coming together as a village right now. And honestly, behind, beyond this coronavirus pandemic and everything else and how this is impacting our community, I hope that this all tethers us to each other and is maintained beyond this crisis into the future that we actually keep this grounding in how we're all connected and um, how we can support each other. Mm, that that is just that's so inspirational. I, you know, I, I often talk about with uh, with friends and people that I'm working with on projects like this that uh, this this crisis will end. What are we going to look like afterwards? How are we going to look back at this time? In, in view of our own humanity, how we served our our fellow uh, community members, I think that that's the way we need to be thinking now and and all all coming together. Hey, Linda, uh, tell me something beyond this project. Tell me something good from today. Well, it uh, actually it does tether on to Marina's comments that she just made. But the cutest family ever showed up at Cheryl Plata to deliver the same food bags that. Uh, yeah. We're being collected. <laughs> so adorable. And these two little munchkins, um, Griffin and Paige, were just so full of light and joy and had no concept or awareness that there was a crisis going on at all. And um, they were helping their mom drop off packages on our table. And it was not only adorable, but Griffin was like, how can I help? What can I do? Mm-hmm. You know, what do you do? This is my first time here. And uh, they went and wandered around our rooftop garden and Sage pointed out all of the herbs and vegetables that were growing. And I, you know, I think that that interaction at a six foot social distancing distance <laughs> between me and them just really lit up my day. And mm. I think that the silver lining of this is that your comment about what this will look like afterwards is uh, I think that we will have um, what we've always had, but I think that we'll, this will be a mechanism to bring our community even closer together, um, which is, you know, I think that that will be the silver lining uh, or one of the silver linings that we end up with at the end of all of this. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree. And, um, you know, for those of you who are listening, um, there's always some way you can pitch in, even with uh, social distancing. Maybe it's just about checking on your, your next door neighbor or if you have a few extra dollars, which a lot of us will not have <laughs> in the short term here. But if you do have a little bit extra money pitching in for projects like Food is Love um, Project dot org, um, there's going to be tremendous need uh, in the community. And so pitch in in any way that you're, uh, you're able to. And of course, as Linda was mentioning earlier, ask for help when you need it too. There's lots of people that, uh, that want to help. You know, I, I suppose I, I've got to uh, uh, say what's going on good in, in my day too, just so I can pitch in. I, during this whole interview, I had my, my cat on my lap, so he wasn't making noise, but he ended up just enjoying being in my lap. So sometimes, uh, quarantine and isolation, uh, there's, there's good things that, uh, that come out of that. And I was going to say the best thing in my week is that I'm filled with love from the two of you and all that you've done for this project. 
And we have yet to see the fruits of it as far as families eating those meals. But in a few hours, that's going to be the case. So tonight, we'll be serving uh, food from Terra Plata and from Olmstead to 18 different families in the community. They'll also have another meal for tomorrow night. So uh, we are... We are collectively making a difference. And if you want to get more information or if you're a restaurant that wants to participate, please go to foodisloveproject.org. Marina Gray and Linda DeLello Morton, I thank you so much for all your work for the community and all the love that you're spreading. And uh, can't wait to expand this program with you. Thank you, Megan. Yes, thank you. And be well. Okay. Be well. Be well. Stay safe. All right. Stay safe and well fed. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. All right. Thanks. And we'll, we'll see you a little bit later for food distribution. Perfect. See you soon. All right. Bye. See you soon. Okay, bye. Bye. Thanks again to Tamara Marina for coming on the show and for inspiring an entire community to act. Um, it's so important. When we did that interview, it was uh, a few hours ago, a little bit earlier in the day. Uh, we did that at that point because we actually had to get to work. In um, and putting those meals together and getting them out to the people that needed them to to vulnerable families, and we just got to confirm this afternoon that we will be distributing meals to folks living in uh, homeless encampments. Uh, our first encampment is just around fifteen people, but we're working with uh, Rex Holbein of Facing Homelessness. Um, I don't think that. He's doing this under the auspices of his organization, but just doing that as a fellow human being. Um, he has relationships with uh, many people in these camps and with people that uh, serve um, that community. And so he has agreed to uh, get that food out to them. We at, uh, um, at the organization that I'm the executive director of, which is called Finding Common Ground, we have agreed to make sure that we have restaurants on tap that can make that food for them. And we're going to pair the two things and get those out to people who need food. And we've, we've heard stories of uh, a desperate need actually for folks that are living outside to have access to food. Not all food banks are open. Um, now restaurants are, are closed. The distribution systems to get folks food that they need have been shut down by the coronavirus crisis. And so we have to step up. So whether you're in Seattle or you live somewhere in Europe or someplace else in the United States, there's always something that you can do. So I ask you if you're able to, to look around you and figure out what you can do for your community because right now your community needs you. So we are going to move on, and uh, this is actually so delightful. If you're clicking in the background, it's because uh, I'm actually going to my, my Facebook feed. I asked my friends today to tell me about one thing that is childlike that they're doing right now in their life. They've probably been doing this their entire adult life, to be honest. I will start with mine, and then I'll tell you, Story, stories of other people and how they responded. Uh, for me, I'm a plate licker. If I have a really good meal, I got to lick that plate. So, um, you know, I, I know that there's ways to conduct yourself in public and uh, don't always follow those. But uh, 
that's okay. Especially during these times, we have to find little things that uh, that delight us. All right. And if you hear some growling in the back background, um, by the way, speaking of th- little things that delight us, I have a yellow lab named Oki. Hey, Oki. And uh, it's normally we normally have the TV or the radio going, and so she doesn't hear all the sights and sounds that are outside. But, of course, since I'm isolated in my house, she uh, she hears all the little things. So from time to time, you may hear her um, pipe up or drink some water like she's doing right now. Hello. Oh, that's very nice. I also have a cat. My dog, she's almost four. My cat is a couple days shy of 18. His name is Gunner. He's an Abyssinian. So they're with me on this, this journey. So what things do people do that are childlike? Kelly says that she bounces up and down when she eats something super tasty. I can definitely relate to that. We have Destiny, who says that she always says cha-cha-cha during happy birthday. You know how that gets to the end of the song? Yeah. Happy, happy birthday to you. Cha-cha-cha. <laughs> I admit that I have done that before. Sierra, my old friend Sierra, I believe is over in Montana. Um, she puts olives on her fingers. And uh, she runs into bed after turning the lights off. So she can get safe and secure under those covers. My good buddy who I consider family, Anjali, she asked her husband what uh, she did that was childlike. And and Adam said, you clap at parades. Uh, She claps at other things. Trust me. She gets very excited about, uh, about things that make her happy. So, We've got Carrie, who's a friend from high school who eats SpaghettiOs from the can. She asks for no judging, um, and we will judge her softly. Emily, who's a dancer from Austin, Texas, also a good friend. She splashes in puddles. Uh, I think she just did this today. We'll have to check the the uh, weather forecast to see if it was raining in uh, Austin today, but she says she splashed in puddles and jumped up and down for the entirety of one song. That sounds like uh, um, like some joy that could uh, that people could really benefit from right now. Uh, Jeff, who works at Seattle Central College and who's a colleague of mine, says he avoids stepping on sidewalk cracks. Um, you know the old adage, um, which I won't say, but that is something that. Actually, I do. I think it's a slight OCD thing. I'm not really OCD, but um, a little bit, a little bit. Uh, I still do that from time to time uh, when I'm walking on the sidewalk. There's lots of mixing cakes, uh, cake with milk or dunking Oreos into milk. Some people flipping over and landing on their couch, taking afternoon naps. Um, People with teddy bears or pillows that are made that are made to look like small poop emojis, which is very interesting. People that lick um, their yogurt containers and people that have a PB&J sandwich with the crust cut off. That last one was from uh, Sean. She is someone I went to school with when, when I went to Auburn High School. So many, many years ago. But people just talking about eating Kraft mac and cheese and... um various other 
uh, basically junk food, but uh, stuff that gives us comfort. And you know what? Um, I think this is a time that we need a little comfort. So go ahead and jump in those puddles. Go ahead and drink cereal milk from the bowl. Rock yourself to sleep. Um, Sleep with a stuffed animal. And uh, do whatever you need to do to get yourself through because this is going to be a a challenging time. And um, we're all going to need to turn to each other and to the things that give us comfort in order to, to get through right about now. Well, um, just a little bit more about me. Uh, just it helps. This, like I said before, this is not about me. This is about you. This is about us, more importantly. But uh, since we're going to spend some time together, um, I live in the Central District um, in Seattle. A lot of the stuff that I'm working on right now is different than the stuff I was working on before this crisis hit. I've always been a small business advocate with my work with uh, the Seattle Pride Festival and also with the Broadway Business Improvement Area and formerly the, the Capitol Hill Chamber of Commerce. So I still definitely am a, have a big focus around that and, and I encourage people in whatever way that they can to support their local small businesses, whether it's through buying gift cards uh, or getting takeout or finding whatever way with good social distancing that they can support their local, their local businesses. I'm also a big supporter of the LGBTQ rights movement and the LGBTQ plus community writ large. Uh, It's work that I've been doing for about 14 years. I produce the largest single festival day in all of Seattle, uh, Seattle pride fest. But of course we, we work with great partners across the city. We help to build capacity in those local nonprofits that are so desperate for that capacity in order to serve the communities that they serve. We have great partners with, uh, with gender justice league and, and, uh, their work with trans pride and, uh, with Seattle pride who put together the Seattle pride parade with these partners. We are going to be putting on all of pride this year. And we don't know, honestly, generally happens the last weekend of June, but we are in uncharted waters at this point. We are not even going to have a sense of where this crisis is going for another few weeks. So it's just another example of the fact that we're all in this together. And you know who taught me that? Who taught me that are a couple of great human beings. And they are going to be my last guests on tonight's show. They taught me all about helping your fellow human being. They taught me about humility, taught me about trying hard, taught me about stepping up in a, in a crisis. And I'm, I'm just really glad to be able to get them on the show for podcast number one of A Light in the Dark. So uh, let's bring them into this, shall we? So now that I've told you a little bit about myself and why I'm doing this podcast, um, I wanted to dive a little bit deeper with uh, some new guests and it, and it feels like an appropriate time in the history of this podcast since it's podcast number one um, to take you back to my origin story. And so I brought in a couple special guests that can illuminate that. Um, I'd like to welcome to a light in the dark, my, um, my parents, I call them mom and pa, but, uh, most people refer to them as Diane and Rawhide. And, um, they refer to me as ads or Adam, um, 
which is my birth name. So, uh, anyways, hey folks, welcome to the show. Hi. Hi, Ed. Hi. Thank you for uh, thank you for taking the time out. Um, I I I just want to get a sense. Uh, so I, I'm 48, and my parents are both 80. Um, so of course, uh, with the news coming out of China that this was really uh, hurting. Uh, people that are uh, a little on the older side much more. Of course, that's been something I've been very concerned about. And um, I know that you are both taking that very seriously. What, well, why don't we just get high level? Is there anything in your long lives that relates to this experience? Well, you take it, Diane. I'll come in after you. Um, well, I think 9-11 was really scary, mm-hmm. you know, in the aftermath of that. And the 2008, financial crisis. Yeah, that was scary because we were just newly retired and thought, oh my gosh, all our retirement savings are just going to blow out the window. But this is by far the most earth shattering. And I can just barely remember stuff from World War II, but I'm not sure if I remember myself or I remember the stories my mother told. But Well, if we were older, Back in the first and second, third grade, uh, we really would have been frightened by what we went through, but we weren't smart enough and wise enough to know. Mm-hmm. We would uh, occasionally have duck and cover uh, yeah. exercises, and that's because we feared the atomic bomb being dropped on us by the, the Russians. Mm-hmm. Totally. And the other fearful time that is nowhere near this because it it was over so quickly was the uh, Bay of Pigs invasion and uh, conflict with Russia over Cuba. Mm-hmm. And uh, wow, we had airplanes in the, in the sky, uh, military aircraft, and things were going wild. And we didn't, we civilians didn't know what was going on at first. Yeah. And it, it felt like the world was coming apart. And that, that was uh, in, uh, so there was the the Bay of Pigs and then the Cuban Missile Crisis that followed that up. It was all Russia and Cuba and the United States. And that's when the World's Fair was, was in, in, in Seattle. What do you have a story, a story about that and how it relates to that crisis? Well, our, our president, uh, JFK was going to come and, and uh, I think the last day of the fair and, uh, and kind of christened the fair being over and we got word that he had came became ill and oh shoot we're not going to see him and we later found out it was because of the missile crisis he had to handle from his office back in washington dc mm. yeah the next morning which was a monday i was home with our oldest son we only had one boy then instead of four and um and rawhide was teaching and we lived in Everett, and the planes from Payne Field then were just, you could just hear going over and over, and I turned on the radio. We didn't have TV then. Turned on the radio, and they said, something's up, something's happening. And, of course, we went all day listening to these planes and wondering what happened to the president. And and I remember my mother saying to me, I called her, I said, do you know what's going on? She said, no. And she said, well, she said, you know, I 
I feel bad for you kids because you're just starting your life. Your dad and I are a lot older and we've lived a lot of life and, and we can go or something like that. Mm. And it was like, oh, my God. <laughs> so and that was so sudden. You know, it was just like that day. The other thing that was so sudden was a couple of years later, we got word I was teaching a elementary school class in the Muckle Field School District. And all of a sudden, the announcement came on the speaker system to all the classrooms that the president had been shot, John F. Kennedy. And we could not believe that. So we, we went to the office and checked on it. Sure enough, and that was the day that was really emotionally devastating for most Americans because mm. he was a beloved president. And uh, it just, like, a, it was a knife to the heart. It seems like uh, with 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 those events, particularly with JFK, I think that nine eleven was my generation's JFK assassination. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and yeah. both both of those and, and the Cuban Missile Crisis were very acute crises. And you know, the Cuban Missile Crisis was, I think, thirteen days. This is obviously going to go much further than that. There's going to be a lot more death and misery that comes of this uh, crisis with the coronavirus. Yeah. What? Uh, when did you realize that this was serious? Oh, it's such a gradual thing. <laughs> it's like a, it's like a frog boiling in, in in water, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, a couple of weeks ago, mm-hmm. when we began to get the projections of uh, hospitals not being able to handle uh, having not enough equipment and. Um, and, and the personnel not having protection and, and the uh, air-breathing uh, devices that they had, not enough of them. Just that began, whoa, wait a second, wait a second. Our infrastructure, medical infrastructure is not up to it. Yeah. And, uh, and we can't, we have never been able to get antibacterial wipes. Mm-hmm. We've tried, at first we just went to stores. And now we're having our gro- we, we picked up our first groceries that behind the store that were all assembled for us. So we wouldn't have to go in the store today. And that worked out pretty well. They missed a couple items and they were Lysol and antibacterial wipes. They're and, just and celery. And celery. So, and celery, but <laughs> I can get celery. <laughs> Anybody have celery? <laughs> well, you, you know, when you go through something that's devastating nationwide or in your own local area, mm-hmm. uh, you think about the old saying, well, you, you know, we're beginning to see the light at the end of the tunnel. Mm-hmm. Huh. I'm not sure we've even seen the entrance to the tunnel yet. Yeah. I, and and yeah. That's, that is, that's threatening. Yeah, and uh, and you can't do anything about it. You just, well, I I think we have to just kind of stay away from the television and not let the news keep drawing us down. But you know, sample it once a day or so, just see what's happening. Otherwise, it, it starts to dry you down a little bit. Yeah. So totally. I clean cupboards. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. That's your that's your that's your place of comfort. I I I'm just gutting out. I'm just taking everything and getting it ready for the goodwill whenever we can take that down and, mm-hmm. and going through books that I know I'll never read and, <laughs> and, uh, and trying to keep things clean. I just think I just want order in the house because everything seems so out of order. Well, you, it's, something, it's something you can control, right? I mean, you can control yeah. cleaning the cupboards. 
Um, yeah. You know, to, to the point, Pa, that you just said about uh, it's not, you know, light at the end of the tunnel and we don't even see the entrance to the tunnel. I was just talking with my friend uh, Rex from uh, the nonprofit Facing Homelessness. He's going to be on the show on, on Sunday. Um, we were talking about just that. Um, and interesting, I was telling him the story of, of last weekend and uh, um, just for the audience, I, I, I saw my parents last weekend. I had no intention of seeing them, but I needed to pick up uh, some bulky items from Ikea. And so uh, my car was not going to fit and they offered to help. And so uh, we went on a walk near Green River College uh, with my dog, Oki. And I really kept them at, you know, six to 10 feet away. And when I was time to load stuff into the car, you know, we were very, very careful. And I was just so grateful to see, see you guys. But earlier that, earlier that day, I was walking on Broadway on Capitol Hill in Seattle. And I saw people at the coffee shop having brunch, you know, all the tables full. And it, it was just this real surreal moment uh, that, life in two weeks, this was going to seem quaint that everything was going to change. And all these people just had no idea how much it was going to change. Uh, we don't even know how much it's going to change uh, as, you know, as we, we, uh, as we ch- chat today, right? I mean, we're, we're a week, week and a half away probably from really entering in the darkest part of this. So tell me just to, just to step away from like the doom and gloom, because you know what we like to do on a light in the dark is really, bring a little bit of hope and, and, and happiness wherever we can find it. So in, 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 when you're isolated at home, what things, just tell me something from today. Tell me something good that brought you joy. Oh, I had a chance to watch a, a crow and a squirrel <laughs> face, face off at the bird feeder. <laughs> and the crow came in and knocked the squirrel off. And that squirrel sat on the ground there shook its head like <laughs> what just happened to me <laughs> that was fun <laughs> and we t- we took a walk today we took about a mile and a half walk where you know we saw people but they were quite a distance away and um and that it was such a pleasant day and then i came home and pulled weeds and cut back ferns and uh it feels good to get out in your garden and dig in the soil. One thing I noticed on our walk, uh, we didn't. Uh, we said hello to maybe six or eight people or so. Mm-hmm. There seemed to be a, a sense of camaraderie that we're in this together. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, how are things going? He says, well, as good as they can be, but we'll get we'll get through it. And I said, yeah, we will. You know. Uh, a sense of we're all in it together and yes you know there's an increased sense of community in suburbia where i'm told by my youngest son <laughs> that there's not a lot of community <laughs> no no i didn't necessarily say that but uh, you know we're we're actually getting the same exact what you just described we're seeing that in the city as well um yeah. I'm, I'm living temporarily in my friend's house and you know even amongst people that i would never normally chat with you know, people are acknowledging each other on the streets. Everyone knows that this is a hard thing to go through. And I, yeah. I think there is that sense that we're all in it together. Um, yeah. It, Mom, well, go ahead. It, kind of an interesting story about Adam's oldest brother, who was on vacation there in Utah. He, they, they pulled their, well, they didn't pull him out of school. It was spring break for their son. And so he and his wife went up to Utah 
And they were just having a great time skiing. And then they just closed everything down because of all these edicts that came down that, you know, couldn't have crowds together. So they, they said, okay, well, we'll go up at a different ski area. So they went up north and they found some cross-country ski areas. The, the, main, the downhill ski area closed. So they cross-country skied. And then they had an earthquake. <laughs> Salt Lake City had an earthquake, a 5.7. And the planes don't roll across those cracks in the uh, runway yeah. so easily. So the airport got shut down. Yeah, the airport got shut down. Oh, I didn't know that. Cracks. Oh, my. Cracks. And then, so they couldn't fly home. So they rented a car and they drove. And they live in Arizona. So it was three days, but they got to go see Zion National Park in the springtime when usually cars can't go in there. But it was nobody was there, so they were able to drive through and enjoy the beauty of the park. And then stayed in Flagstaff the last night, and they were just coming home when we talked to them. Yeah, that's my and, old, that's my oldest brother Carew, his wife Donnie, and their uh, their son Cutter. And I actually spoke to them this morning um, as well. They were just about three hours away from their home, just south of uh, Tucson, Arizona. I hear you talk about there's some simple joys that that um, exist still in our day-to-day lives. You uh, you also talked about this connection between people, and I think that that's something that we're just going to see see grow as the crisis deepens. Um, what's uh, Mom, you posted something to uh, Facebook today. What was it, and why did you post it? Oh, I just, we have some primroses that are about 80 years old out in our front yard, little yellow ones, a great big patch. I took a picture of them and put on Facebook and said, we just have to enjoy the simple things. And I explained where they came from. It actually came from your grandfather's place, Adam. Really? Um, up in Everett. Yeah. Hmm. And then, then we took it. We took a patch of them and brought them down here when we bought our house ugh, 50 years ago. <laughs> and uh, they've been growing ever since. And they're beautiful. And they come up every spring. That's our harbinger of of spring is just around the corner. Well, it is actually here now. And um, just so to, I just say, you know, they're joyful, they're colorful, and and they they show the promise of hope. Or <clears throat> I can't remember exactly what I said. Totally, but. totally. Well, I and and I can uh, I can read that later on to uh, from Facebook when we're doing a little bit of Facebook uh, segment. But um, uh, I have two questions for you both. Um, one is in the, in the near term, what are you most concerned about? What worries you? Oh, getting uncontrollably ill, Mm. you know, and, and our boys Mm -hmm. and their families getting ill Mm -hmm. and not being able to control it because our supplies are so short. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, and then us, I mean, I, I, we just never get sick. Yeah. So, and we're in really good health, even though we're 80, we're in extremely good health. And I can, I, I can I just, vouch for that. <laughs> so we, I just don't know how to handle illness. Yeah. And uh, so it worries me, you know, it worries me that if you do get sick, who do you call? And do you, if, if you're stuck in a place where a bunch of other sick people, would you be just as well off at home or, you know, those things. So I guess we just. And then not seeing our kids, you know, and our grandkids. Yeah. Our granddaughter used to 
pop down about once a week from the college up the street because she was going there. And she says, I can't stop by and see you guys any longer because um, we're vulnerable and evidently she isn't. Yeah. Well, I mean, she, she could be as, she could be as well, but I think that just uh, heightens the sense of isolation. Bob, what, 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 what worries you? What are you, what are you thinking about? Uh, I worry about the, just like her, uh, I worry about the the kids. I don't worry so much about ourselves. Mm -hmm. We've had, we've had a good, good, uh, enriched life, but, uh, I worry about our number two son, Michael, Mm -hmm. that is trying to, Start a vineyard over near Lake Chelan, mm-hmm. and he has to call the people that are supplying the root stock stock for the for the vines, and has to put them off for a couple of months because uh, conditions, environmental conditions, aren't just right. Plus, people can't get together as a group, and he's really worried about that. So, I he's he, he's put a lot of emotional energy into this and i think it'd be very disappointing so mm-hmm. i don't like to see my kids disappointed yeah there's a there's a lot of plans being put off vacations yeah. businesses yeah. yeah it's a it's a tough time i don't know if i've met a single person who hasn't been affected in that way and yeah but i i appreciate that you don't like your your kids being disappointed and i don't like to see my parents be disappointed or see them see them worry and it's just a lot of stuff. We don't know what's going to happen next. So I think it's just. Yeah. I was telling you earlier today that I don't know if we'll ever be able to travel again. I mean, I was thinking before this ever happened. Oh, let's see. Let's plan a, another trip. I'm really excited. We had a wonderful trip in the fall back east in, in the United States. And it was a great trip. And I, I'm excited. You know, we plan like maybe one every year, one every other year, a nice big trip and mm-hmm. we were talking about different maybe go on some river cruises or oh go to um spain or portugal or croatia and you know and then i'm thinking i wonder when we'll ever be able to travel again when we'll i guess it's when they find a vaccine for this or a, or a medical medical treatment which you know, yeah the, the... but it just seems like that is such a far off dream now sure. whereas um, three weeks ago, a month ago, it was like, well, let's let's start saving our money and planning for this. And now it's just let's just every let's every every it. every day seems like a week. I mean, I, it's 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 hard yeah. to imagine that we were taking the IKEA trip just a week ago. Um, yeah. Uh, it's just it's IKEA trip. That was our trip for this year. The IKEA yes, trip. <laughs> to to the foreign nation of IKEA. <laughs> or you can get Swedish meatballs. Um, yeah. Speaking of speaking of meatballs, uh, what what's a meal that you are uh, that you have the food for that you're looking forward to making in the next couple of days? I'm looking forward to consuming one that she made yesterday. <laughs> oh, okay. What did she make yesterday? A a beef stew. Look at her old fashioned stew. Potatoes and carrots and all that sort of thing. Celery. And celery. <laughs> and celery. You got enough. Oh, the celery's already the in there. celery went. <laughs> and red wine. <laughs> um, yeah, because I'd gone to Costco and I buy 
um, about every other month or so, I buy a big package of stew meat and I divide it up into fours. So we have a stew about every other week or so. Mm-hmm. Last time I went, which was about 10 days ago, he said, oh, I don't have stew meat. He says, there's a run on the market. And he said, so we have shortages. And then he was really upset. He said, oh, it's so stupid the way people are hoarding. Mm. And uh, But, you know, they still didn't the last time I was in there. And I doubt I'll be going in there again. Sure, sure. <laughs> my, my, my fallback position, my comfort food is Lay's Ruffle Potato Chips. <laughs> and do you have some of those uh, on hand? Just got some today. Oh. Whoa. Hey. Here comes a flicker and just knocked a bunch of birds off the, <laughs> <laughs> and Mom, the bird feeder. The bird feeder, yeah. Uh, do you have plenty of, of bird seed for your entertainment? You oh. know what? We went down and got three bagfuls at Lowe's not too long ago. And they were half priced. Yeah. I got enough for a month and a half or so. Who needs who needs <laughs> Netflix when you have bird seed? especially mail-in Netflix (laughs) and and this is a flicker out here (laughs) oh it's nothing to do with it's just a it's just a flicks um (laughs) a crow just came in knocked him off (laughs) oh boy I I need that sort of entertainment going on uh in 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 my neighborhood here um oh by the way my, my, my that's my default from the TV news is to watch birds. <laughs> by the, by, and by mine the, is to read a murder mystery. Oh boy, um, <laughs> I I have more questions about all that, um, and we'll we'll do another visit in a little bit. But I just wanted to uh, um, I wanted just to clarify because people heard something about a mail-in Netflix thing, and they were really confused. The millennials were like, "I don't understand what that means." And just so you know, Netflix started as a DVD delivery. They would ship it in the mail and you'd you know send it back and forth. And um, so apparently the service still exists. And my parents are like the last blockbuster in the United States. They still, they're the last people that engage in this particular activity. And uh, it's good. It's keeping Netflix afloat. Um, Mom, I, I I asked Pa what his comfort food was, or he told he told us uh, what what's your comfort food? Oh, because I have to watch my sugar intake. So I love making my scrambled eggs in the morning with celery and spinach and green onions and uh, peppers. I love peppers. Yeah. You know, the green and not green, but yellow and red and orange. What? We gotta get that. We gotta get this woman her her celery because her comfort celery, food is yes. yeah. And I feel so good when I make that because I just feel like I'm really eating. I my carbs are down, but I'm getting good protein and <laughs> and, uh, and I really gotten to like vegetables a lot more. So fresh vegetables. Oh, so. that's great. See, this is this is how healthy my my, my folks are. Um, <laughs> professing the love of, of vegetables and, uh, and potato chips and ruffles, potato chips. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I just, just have one more question, uh, for you all. Um, this is, this crisis is going to end. Um, it's not going to feel like it anytime soon. Um, but it will end. It could be a couple of months. It could be a year. We don't know. Um, but when it ends, what are you looking forward to the most? Well, I think we're too new to this mm-hmm. um, because, you know, we're pretty much living our lives. Being retired, we watch certain programs and we 
did our yard work and we took our walks. And I guess I miss my women groups because I belong to a writing group and two book clubs and we just can't get together. Uh, and, and so I don't, it kind of gave me the impetus to read certain books. I mean, oh, I, you know, if Sony picked a book for the club, everybody read that book and those would be books I wouldn't read. But one thing that's kind of funny, and I guess it's funny, I went to the library, I ordered a bunch of books from the library on online and then I picked them up and then I went to take them all back or most of them back because I knew, and I didn't realize the library was closing. Anyway, I found out that I have all my books. I have about 10 books until April 30th at the earliest. Oh, <laughs> so. Well, so, so you're looking back to, you're looking forward to sort of your social life, your book clubs and, and, yeah. and seeing your, 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 your getting together with your coffee clutch and, and yeah. 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 And, and 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 I know and I'm sure that you look forward to traveling and and seeing your family as well. Uh, my folks just canceled a trip to uh, to Tucson um, that was uh, that was upcoming. I know they were really looking forward to that. They do that every spring. Um, Pop, what do you what uh, what are you looking forward to do when this is all over? Oh, I'm looking forward to making my uh, number four youngest son laugh. That's what she did. <laughs> <laughs> did I do it? You, 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 you did it. You did it. Um, is, is that, is it a, <laughs> this is something that we do. Um, I, I normally would talk to my parents every other day, but, uh, now I talk to them every day, sometimes more than that. And my, uh, my pa, my, my dad has this, uh, what is it? Is it like a button? A button. It's a little button. It was a card that was given to me by my, my sister-in-law or my daughter-in-law, yeah. uh, Donnie. And it's a whole series of, that's what she said in different voices. Right. <laughs> well, and we get a laugh out of ads every time <laughs> we play it. <laughs> and us too. And us too. Uh, yeah, it, uh, it's 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 very good. He he has it handy. Um, and and we we almost uh, we, we we he almost pulls this out um, almost every night. um well uh thank you both for for spending time i know we we talk every day and i just wanted just to have a normal conversation i wanted you to be part of this particular um podcast and to find out your perspective because obviously being 80 and um you you have a different perspective uh, on this and I, I, I wanted to hear, and I think that the audience would want to hear that. So um, actually your mother's 80, I'm 70. Oh, <laughs> I robbed the cradle. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> <laughs> I married you when you were 10. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, okay. Yes. Okay. Well, uh, enjoy, uh, enjoy your stew and, um, we will, we will, we will talk to you later. Stay, stay safe out there. And, um, we'll, we'll talk to you, uh, in either hours or tomorrow. Okay. okay. Thanks, Ed. Okay. Bye-bye. Have, have a good one. Bye-bye. Yeah. Bye-bye. So, uh, so those are my folks. Um, they are dial- They were dialing in from Auburn, Washington, about uh, 30 minutes south of Seattle. I live in Seattle. 
Um, normally we get to see each other on a very regular basis, but uh, obviously with the coronavirus crisis that like many of you out there, you're not able to experience that. So I'm glad you were able to get a little bit of a um, view into just a regular family and their, their, their lives. Uh, I'm, I know that probably feels very familiar to a lot of you out there. I think any kid wants their parents to be with them um, on a, on a new journey. And uh, honestly, I've never put together a podcast. I am a storyteller by nature. I'm a writer and I'm a community organizer. And um, so all these things I think come together um, for me in this, but you know what, what I hope to do over the weeks and probably months to come as we're deep in the heart of this particular crisis is to bring you voices from the community, storytellers, scientists, artists, students, elders, to tell their stories and to find a light in the dark. That's the whole point in this, uh, this show that we're putting on. We want you to feel like you're part of the conversation and we'll, in fact, uh, if you go to this is a light in the dark dot com, uh, you can contact us there and uh, let us know what you're going through right now and and what uh, some of the positive experiences uh, that you're having, uh, what good things that you have happen on a daily basis. And of course, uh, the bad stuff, too. Uh, we take the good with the bad right now, and uh, we hope to outshine the darkness that we feel is coming and that by all data is going to be coming to us soon. And it will be a sad time. It will be a time of great suffering for families, for people that are in hospitals that are overrun. But if we, you get one thing out of this show it's that our humanity will help us survive we will get to the end of this and we will rebuild on the other side of course not all of us are going to be there there's already a couple hundred people that have died in the united states there's thousands that have died worldwide but for those of us that are able to survive this epidemic we want to build a world that is better than how we entered this epidemic, this pandemic. And so I implore you during this crisis to look to see what opportunities there are, even if you've never stepped up, never had a position of leadership. Maybe you're an introvert. You don't even like engaging very much with other people. There are opportunities for you. I know that you care about people and there are people all around you that need you to care about them. You, at the end of the day, are the light in the dark. So we will continue to tell these stories. We encourage you to stay well and to love each other. And we'll bring you stories of this crazy life that we're living through right now, every night on A Light in the Dark. Thank you for being with us. Be well. Be well.